Hi, this is Tim Krolski. Most people might think they know what goes on in the life of a truck driver, but we thought it was time to understand the person that operates the truck. To find what actually drives them and what really goes on before and after the brakes get set. Welcome to Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Hello and welcome to another edition of Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. I'm your host Tim Krolski and today with me I am pleased to have Big Matt Paul with me uh, from Lakewood, Ohio. Is that originally? Uh, no, originally um, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Virginia um, Beach, Virginia. My father was stationed at NES Oceana. Uh, okay. He's a retired command master chief and spent... Technically, I was born in Cleveland. Within six months, we were back down in Virginia Beach, and uh, we uh, I spent my first six years down there. My sister was born in Virginia Beach, but uh, my father was in Benidorm, Spain when I was born. So really? my mother came up here to be with family, uh, to have me, and then when I was born, she was like, I can't take it anymore. I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when did you come back to the Cleveland area? Uh, we moved into the Cleveland area in 91, and... Um, we would stay up here for like school and stuff like that, and then we'd always have a big summer vacation back down to Virginia Beach. Okay, so yeah. two two lands of familiarity for you. Yeah, and but the, if you know anything about a military town, disappear for a year or two, and everything changes. Right, everything. I uh, when I graduated high school, I didn't go down with my parents for a while, and then I went back. I think it was six years I went down there. I didn't recognize anything. My childhood home was completely different. The way to get into our little neck of the woods, if you would put it that way, was completely different. Is that right? Oh, it's... But it's a military town. Anybody yeah. that's been in the military can tell you that, that the town will change to encompass the military base right so yeah those those changes are inevitable yes as they would say um started with us back in 2019 so you're a little over a year now of experience and and uh um how you feeling how are you settling in at this point in, in trucking you know when i first got into it um when i when i was in school first gardener person i talked to was mckenzie Told her everything that was going on in my life, and when I was looking to get into trucking, she, ex- I mean, answer, answer, answer. I mean, everything didn't seem like she was um, giving me any BS. It was just straight answers from her. Sure. When I got hired on here, you guys treated me like family since day one. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was sitting in front of HR and you guys just reading me the list that's been perfected over the years that this place has been in business. <laughs> right. You talk to me like a human being. You talk to our entire orientation group like that. Got us on the road. I was with Larry Gannon and Mike Geddes for training. Uh, treated me, and I even told him, I was like, guys, treat me like a newbie. Treat, I've never driven out of school. I'm a newbie. I'm here to learn. Teach me everything. If I'm doing something wrong, stop me right then and there. They had no problem doing it. Well, and you had two good examples in terms of, you know, as far as good examples, as far as drivers are concerned, but also very personable individuals, both of them. And And, um, hell of a job with training, too. Yeah. And then when I got out on the road by myself, now I've got, I spent two years working at a level one trauma hospital in cleveland i'm not going to mention names but if you're from the area you know exactly what i'm talking about i got a big problem with anxiety like because of working there as a paramedic 
my first couple of months here, oh man, you want to talk about just every day on the road, <laughs> handshaking like some jitters, oh, huh? jitters. But no, I mean, talking with Emma, talking with Barb, talking with Audrey would. I'd pick up the phone and call the office, and Audrey would sit there and talk to me for ten minutes. And I'm like, why did I call? Oh, yeah, can you put me in through dispatch? She goes, oh yeah, no problem. But it's just my anxiety's gone. I get into my rig, I relax because I know that my backing crew, the guy, you guys up here in operations safety uh hr and everything else i make a phone call my questions are answered or my, yeah my Great. questions are answered and i have no anxiety anymore i can sit back you guys send me loads to places i've never been i'm like well i trust them if they know about it and everything else then i'm in good hands let's do it i appreciate that and it's just i like i said two months in hands shaking like crazy i get into my rig now and i'm like well i'm in my apartment let's have fun so that's a good good attitude to have. Let's step back for a minute. Um, so, your uh, your time in Virginia versus Ohio, where does that put you in terms of where you went to school for high school? Uh, all of my all of my schooling was done up here in Ohio. Uh, technically, I should have graduated in 05, but my birthday is right there on the line. So my okay. graduating class was 04. We moved up here in '91. Um, luckily, the way the school system was back then is kindergarten kids only went to a half year of school. They'd have the full six-hour day, five days a week, but you only did half a year. Okay. So when we moved up here, I think it was maybe a week or two after we had moved. I mean, we were still living out of boxes. Gotcha. And I was in school. Okay. So all of my schooling was done up here in Ohio, um, even when I went to college multiple times uh, they were all up here in ohio uh, so what what uh what outside of school did you have some extracurriculars that you were involved with or uh big music guy uh my mother and my dad too but my mother was really big into me and my sister being in music uh i was probably in fourth grade and my mother went out and bought us a piano and was insistent that we learn to play piano. Nice. Uh, when I got into fifth, going into fifth grade, I didn't want to pursue music in school. I liked being outside of it. My music teacher's like, you can sing, you can follow and everything else. And it's because of my mother. Um, you're going into some sort of music. You're not just sloughing it off like a lot of these kids. You are. Okay. And she forced me into orchestra and I played viola from fifth grade all the way up into uh, the beginning of college really yeah um when i graduated high school i was in three different orchestras and it was amazing and but you don't play today i don't have the time (laughs) you know and i i started playing guitar um actually one of my tattoos in my arm is my guitar um when i was flying v flying v uh, gibson flying v goth I've been in multiple bands touring up and down the East Coast. Uh, really? I have. We have a lot of musicians here. I didn't, never really realized it's, it. It came natural to me, you know. Okay. And uh, But I've got we've got one EP out in one of the bands um, that I was in. But music was just great. But then when I really started getting into, okay, I'm making some money with music, but i got to get into a career, music yeah. kind of went to the wayside. And, okay. I haven't picked up my flying V in probably like two years. Is that where the hospital comes into play at that point? EMS, the hospital, and everything else. Okay. Uh, before all that stuff, I worked in bars and kitchens and stuff like that. So, And every bar that I worked at had jam night. So I sure. always played. Sure. When I, f- 
when I, I like to say I made the decision where I had to get a career, but it was more of my parents going either get out of the basement or get a career. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go to school again. I uh, got into EMT, uh, did EMT for three years. When my certification was coming up to be renewed, you could either do the continuing education or you could go back to school. I went to paramedic school. Okay. Uh, it was a full 365 days, no breaks, no Christmas break or nothing of what doctors learn in eight years. We joke around as paramedics that we learned in one. So why why that choice? Why that path? What, what drew you to that? My entire family is either military or medical. My father likes to sit there and would say... I can't eat dinner with you people because my mother's a nurse, my sister's a nurse, she just recently got her master's degree, uh, and I was a paramedic, and it was, man, I had this patient that had his arm ripped off, blood spewing everywhere else, and my dad's <laughs> sitting there going, well, I'm not eating the spaghetti now. Yeah. But it was uh, my entire family. Uh, grandparents were in World War II. My dad's parents were steel workers, but my dad and my uncles were in the, uh, in the Navy, my mother's a nurse. Her sisters are all nurses of different calibers. Um, all of my cousins are either went to nursing school or are currently nurses, and I don't like asking permission, so I became a paramedic. So it's just in the <laughs> it's blood. in the blood. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I know how you, you managed to make the transition to, to truck driving. Yeah. You're, you've got, uh, you have wife and kids at home, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, Desiree, my wife, we've been married for two years. Uh, I'm stepfather to two great boys. Uh, Aiden, he's 14, and I'll probably be telling a little bit of stories about him. And my, my boy, Kelrin, uh, he's nine years old. He's autistic. Uh, just best way to describe Kelrin, he's a three-year-old in a nine-year-old's body. Like okay. He's just learning to really use some words, but we're starting to go into like the terrible twos life. So he's getting very defiant. He's learned the word no and likes to use it a lot. <laughs> some of us don't grow out of yeah. that. <laughs> but when you've got a autistic child who is a nine, the, he's nine years old. He's the size of a big nine year old, but he's three and he lashes out. And it's one of those. It's like you're not that little, buddy. You right. can't be lashing out like this. So. But yeah, no, they're I love them to death. Um, it's got to present some challenges with you being out on the road, though, as well. But the best part about that is the video calls. My yeah. wife will call me up if I look down at my phone when it's going off because I keep my phone on my dash and I just glance down at it. If it has her picture on it for the video call, I'm instantly. If I'm nowhere near a rest stop, I you know ignore it. She'll know. She'll call me up on the headset and tell me. I said, "Give me a second. Let me get to a rest area. Let me get where I can pull over safely." Sure. She'll video call me. And I appreciate that, by the way. Yeah, no, no problem. I trust me. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm gonna, you know, these twenty ton, forty ton vehicles. Sometimes, yeah, you're yep. not gonna feel the guy you're gonna tap in front. Exactly. Of you. But uh, she'll video call me, and he'll be having a meltdown. Just pop up, pop up, and I'm like, "What's up, buddy? What's going on?" And I just let him do his thing. And I'm like, I love you, buddy. I miss you, and I'll see you when I come home. And he, my wife will go, thank you. I couldn't get him to stop. I'm like, no problem. Then I get back on the road, and I go. Nice. But, yeah, it's – I don't see it. I, my heart hurts every once in a while when I think of my kids, especially like this past weekend when we all had fun together. But I know that I'm out here on the road providing for them the best way that I can. Sure, sure. You know, uh, me and you had a discussion before where – 
I worked at a hospital for two years. You'd expect health benefits to be great. Yeah, not as much. Yeah. Here, the yeah, health that's ben- shocking. The health benefits are great. The pay's great. And I get to take care of my family that way. So yeah. at this point, you, like I said, you're a little over a year in, year and four months, three months, something like, yeah, that. something like that. What advice would you give to someone now who's just starting out since, you know, you're still relatively new at it. You mentioned you had jitters for a couple of months and you've, you've settled into your own. Is there a, a nugget that you would say to any driver, this is what? If we're hiring somebody straight out of school, the first thing I would, I would tell them is, these people here are not your bosses like a normal job. They, yes, they are your bosses. They're your family. They're going to help you. You can call them up at any time and ask them a question if you have a question, and they will answer you. You know, our safety director, Emma, I have never called her office phone. She gave me her cell phone number, mm-hmm. and it's the only number I ever saved from her. And there have been times where I've called her up and go, oh, no, she's at home. Whoops, and she answers my question takes care of what i need and i always apologize but i'm very appreciative for taking that phone call well and that's the 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 part that we have to do as a as a company is be available yeah and um if you've got uh, some of these kids that are coming out i shouldn't really say kids some of these people that are coming out uh they're getting in a truck if you've got a family get that skype get the video call app get the thing because you're going to get out on the road and you're thinking everything's going to be fine then one day you're like oh man i'm not seeing johnny i'm not seeing deborah i'm not seeing the kids i'm not seeing that video call man when you get to see their faces and they're all happy to see you it's it just warms you well i you know that's i've referred back often because i started as a driver as well and um, that was, you know, the, always the challenging part. I was just sharing a conversation. We've got a brand new driver coming on board today, and I was talking with him briefly. And one of the things that came up is he just had his um, his youngest just turned one uh, over the weekend. And I can recall leaving the house on a Sunday, and, you know, he's he's at the door sad and crying, and, you know, it's, that was always the tough part. Yeah. Uh, but it would certainly have made things a lot easier as far as the technology is concerned that we have now yeah. today versus what I had when I was out on the road. And uh, not that I'm that old, but, um, you know, the technology has developed so much even in the last five years. Yeah. It's amazing what you can do In now. the last ten years, we didn't have smartphones. We had flip phones, you know. Right. Right. Bluetooth really wasn't a thing. Everybody was wired. To I was their at cell Verizon phone. yesterday. I I looked at a phone. I won't mention the name brand because we're not getting sponsorships yeah. for this. But I flipped the phone. It was a flip phone, but it was a full screen yeah. flip phone with full. no seam. I mean, it, it's like it's amazing how far technology's come. But like it, when even in the early two thousands, I don't think I could have handled being a truck driver with a family. Yeah, you know. Because that um, connection was it, it, it was only by phone. Yeah, and only then, when you stopped. And then you know. it's yeah, and then if you can't get a hold of anybody, you get all the information when you get home. Right. You know. Oh, hey, you, um, your kid just walked across the floor for the first time while you were on the road. We mm-hmm. couldn't call you because we couldn't get in touch. He's like, oh, I missed that. You know. But nowadays, people can take video of it and text it to you and everything else. So we're away from our families but luckily because of technology and the day that we live in now we are not that far away from yeah our there's families. some connection yeah. there that's a really well well said i was going to ask you um again a little bit of experience behind you now what's one thing that a customer did that you didn't expect um all right one of our major contractors on truck appreciation 
Truck Appreciation Week, which was a few weeks after I got on the road by myself. Okay. And they're relatively close to home here, I mean at base. And I went in there, and I went to get my load, and this person handed me a knapsack. And I looked at him and said, what's this for? And I said, well, thank you for being a truck driver. And it never clicked. That I, What do you mean truck driver? I've been on the road four days by myself. What do you mean <laughs> thank you? And it never really clicked. But the gloves that I still use today were in there. Um, they had, uh, um, you know, I can't even remember what restaurant, but you had a gift card in there. You had the knapsack. Uh, one of our the uh, the full mask thing that you can put over your head and use it yeah. for much. There was one of those in there, and they were like, "Thank you," and I I couldn't say anything because I'm like, I haven't done anything yet. What do you mean, right. thank you? And it's one like I and I've been like that for every one of my jobs as a paramedic. I had a family member walk up to me and say, "Thank you for taking care of my grandmother," and it's like, I didn't do anything, and they're like, "No," because in their eyes, right, I did you something. Did, you did. You did, jo- did the job that you were you were yeah, and that, trained to do. That was completely unexpected. When that lady handed me that knapsack, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, why am I getting there? Like, well, thank you for being what you're doing. I'm like, what? what? I haven't done anything. Do you feel like, I, and again, this conversation I've had with a few individuals and maybe more so a little recently, but because of the situation we're in as a, as a country, as a nation, as a world right now in yeah. terms of COVID, um, I know that uh, you know truck driving doesn't always get that upper tier status as you know a very glamorous lifestyle, but um, there's been a massive, massive show of appreciation to our drivers out on the road, not by just people in the industry, but w- outside of the industry, yeah. people raising their hands to say, "Hey, look, we appreciate the job you're doing. Thanks for bringing me the toilet paper that I need, or yeah, you know yeah. this and that." And there's a wave maybe there that, that we're all going to be able to ride um, for a long, long time. Do you feel that um, out on the road, or is that a perception? I, I feel that out on the road from, like, regular people, like just the people that aren't in the industry. Um, best example, there's this guy that lives over around Amherst. If you go down I-80 heading out east, um, first couple before COVID really hit, he just had a farm. Now that COVID hit and everybody's really relying on truck drivers to get things to them, he's got three, four, five, we're talking billboard side signs, thank you truck drivers. And I've noticed that around a lot of places. A lot of people outside the industry are very appreciative of what we do. There are some people in the industry, shippers, receivers, and stuff like that, that I see are more of, well, now there's more of a stranglehold from other things that we can't get things done like we used to. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those, we, we've all been living with it more. I've seen a lot of Pennsylvania, and all the truck drivers can say that, down I-80 through Pennsylvania through the month of March this year, they closed every rest area down. You couldn't even park there to sleep. Okay. And to me, I was like, you people are sitting there talking about, oh, we need our truck drivers, we need our truck drivers, but the state is telling us that we can't take our breaks now. Right, right. You know, we can't stop to go to the vet. We're still people. You know, but the regular Joes out there, they they really appreciate it. And I do. I feel it from people, you know. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. I, you know, it's, it's you know, as, a, as an industry, we, you know, we have conversations sometimes that differ from 
um, not so much the reality, but f- from from the day to day on what's going on out there. So I was curious as to what your perspective is yeah. as a driver out on the road each day. I, I I see a lot of appreciation from a lot of people, like people that aren't in the industry, but outside there, people that are in the industry, kind of like it's more of a okay now I've got to switch everything that I've been doing for all this time and it's making it harder but we are going to get through this right it's just they've got that look in their eye like oh it's never gonna end yeah (laughs) well let me ask you something off the beaten path now we've gotten to know you a little bit we've had uh, uh, an opportunity to talk about technology a little bit what if you had 2,000 unread emails (laughs) and you um you could only answer 300 of them. Which ones would you choose to answer, and why would you do that? Uh, considering I just emptied my email folders yesterday, I had about 2,000 in there. Um, always, first and foremost, and this is going to sound like a dumb kissing up, but if you guys send me an email, it's the first things I look for. I go through my emails. If it says Gardner, I open it up, even if it's that... Hey, here's the winners of this year's Elite Fleet or the the walking people, you know, the guys that walk for September. Mm-hmm. Um, or Sherry getting up for ADA or ATA, ATA. yeah, okay. American Trucking um, Association. All the we're going to have her on here shortly. I'm going to we're going to do a segment with her as well just yeah. to talk about some of that, just to tease things. <laughs> yeah. But all the Gardner stuff is usually the first ones and they're usually about 300 emails excuse me um <laughs> but if it's family friends instantaneously i'm going to because you're going to deal with that first i got rid of social media uh for a lot of reasons recently and i told all of my friends that live out of state and all my families live out of state i have a new email and called them up and gave it to them and I get three or four a day from family members hey how's it going I haven't That's seen you in a while and i answer them but if it's Family, friends, and business. That's how I, I do it. Okay. Other than that, it's mostly spam or stuff that weren't supposed to be sent to me anyways. <laughs> so you can move on. Yeah. What if what if you could have a billboard and, and put anything on it? What would it be and, and why? Oh, man. There's an answer I really want to give you guys, but it's really inappropriate. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it, it would mostly just be a billboard. would just be thanking people. Um there's up in Minnesota, there's a billboard that just says be kind right when you get into the state. Okay. And I look at that and that's appropriate too. Yeah. I look at that and I'm like, you know what? In the state that we're in right now, I would put another billboard up there. It's just be kind or the golden rule or something. Not, you know, nothing religious, nothing political or anything else. Just, hey, you know, we're, there's only one race, the human race. Right. We're all here together. Give somebody a hug. We, well, we get know. we get we only get one shot at this. Yeah, for just, everybody. So that that would be the billboard. Well, that's a, a certainly a timely, timely um, message for for you know just in simplest form. Uh, I think that uh, we're we're at a very difficult point as as a nation, and for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I I, I believe genuinely I believe that uh, your sentiments are are the same as mine and that many people feel the same way that um there's there's a lot of angst and a lot of trouble and a lot of problems and a lot of bad things that are going on right now um depending on where you are in the in the nation and 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 what those situations might be but regardless we we take on oxygen the same way Mm -hmm. we eat um we sleep and um we all have someone to answer to we have we have families we have uh 
we have needs and and um should start to care a little bit more about each other and 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 how we're all feeling yeah. you know about these situations so without getting too deep or too political oh, no, it, but it, i but I, I agree with you yeah it 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 doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on on you know your political stance your religious stance or anything else it's at the end of the day you're my neighbor you're my friend you're somebody that i know i'm just going to show kindness to you you know there's no reason to why it's easier to be kind to somebody than hate them you know right. so that's right. how i've always that's really how i've always lived my life you know? well i feel like one of the things that gets lost in all of this because as a nation what makes america so great is the fact that we have the ability to say and think the things that we want to. Um, we have the ability to believe what we want to. And we have the ability to combine all of those things and make this the nation that it is. And yeah. I think because of our current climate, I think a lot of that's just simply getting lost. And um, I hope it's not to our peril because as a nation, one of those things that makes us very strong, I think, is making things very weak right yeah. now. And um, we've got to get back to some basics just in terms of what this country was founded on and and um, recognize and realize that we are, we're all beautiful in our own ways yeah. and and um, and move forward from there and forget, like you said, it's, it's not about party at this point. It's not about race or color yeah. or religion we just need to relax i I can't remember who i heard it from i don't even remember if it was family or if it was on tv or something like that but somebody had said that there there is not we're all one race we're the human race and they went through this whole speech getting to it but that was the main point of it and that's i really sat back on that and looked at it i'm like you know what you're right you know from black hispanic asian uh middle eastern um, European, American, Canadian, Mexican, it, it, it's, we're all the same, the same type of blood pumps through our bodies, like you said, we eat, we drink, we're merry, why does it all have to be so difficult, Right. you know, and like I said, when I heard that, I, I really looked at it, and I was like, you know what, that's, that's right, that is right, we are just one race, the human race, it's, that's us. You know, why do I have to be different from somebody sitting next to me? Exactly. So, what uh, what do you think your response would be uh, if you had an opportunity to have dinner or meet with three people that are no longer with us? Doesn't matter if they're famous, um, someone you know. Who would those people be, and 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 why? The funny thing is, that me and my dad actually had this talk a little bit ago, and it didn't start with that type of question, but it came down to that. I am very, and I'm going to, I got to preface this. Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mother's side of the family would always get together. And I'm talking, we'd have 18, 20 people in a house. Mm -hmm. We'd all get together. We'd all, as kids, go downstairs and play pool, come upstairs for dinner and stuff like that. After dinner, after everything's cleared off and the dishes are done and everything else, the adults would sit down at the table and would tell the history of our family. I mean, every time. Okay. And I got to the point where a lot of my cousins would leave, and I'd sit at the table and listen. And I learned that. And I learned a very great detail of my family lineage. I mean, we're talking going back to no electricity and living in castles type stuff. My father's side of the family, unfortunately, before I was born, a lot of them had died off. Okay. Uh, My dad's dad... 
died off of esophageal cancer back in the 70s. My dad's oldest brother died, I mean, a massive coronary, um, late 70s, early 80s. I would have loved to sit down with my great-grandfather and my dad's dad and my father and just tell me, tell me about that side of my family. Tell mm-hmm. me, why am I a giant? Why am I, <laughs> why does it that, like, the military, the music, everything comes to me? I know my mother's side. I know nothing about my father's side. I would love to sit down with them. And just get some detail. Yep. And my grandmother always said my grandfather loves stuffed cabbage. I was like, I'll sit there with a thing of horseradish and stuffed cabbage with the man and go bite for bite with them. But just tell me about me. I, I would share with you that um, that was a big part of my growing up. Because I, I kind of run into the same situation that you have in terms of um, my, my mom's side was a much larger side of the family. Not that my dad's side was smaller, but maybe more spread out. Yeah. We didn't get to know them as well. I had some cousins that, that, that I was, to this day, we still at least trade some texts or see one another in certain situations uh, on my dad's side, but um, pretty much there's nobody left. Yeah. But when I was a kid, it was one of my favorite things to do was to go to my, my grandparents' house and um, sit out back. They would you know, sit out on the porch uh, late later in the evening and uh, my grandfather came from transportation, but uh, a much larger machine. He was an engineer on the railroad. He worked for B&O and, and Chessie. And um, he he always had stories, not only family stories, but uh, work stories. And I, I just sit and listen to him for hours and just question, yep. you know, question after question because I was so fascinated by it. And there's something really to be valued in that time that, that I was able to, to have with him. I was fortunate enough, and I lost him in my early 20s. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so that, those those types of things you really do value when, you, when you're able to kind of really hear firsthand about your family, yeah. about those situations. And if you didn't get that opportunity to it, 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 it is tough. So yeah. that would make that a valuable wish, I think. Yeah. My, my grandmother's house, uh, my mom's mom, and my grandma and grandpa you'd go to their house and if you were to ever walk upstairs the stairwell was littered with pictures and i mean a lot of family photos but a lot of the military you know hey this my grandfather was a very good looking man but i never knew him when i was born my grandfather was already in his 70s okay so i never got to meet the military man you know i met the my grandfather was a combat engineer in World War II. When he got out of World War II, he worked for Caterpillar. By the time he retired from Caterpillar in Ohio, he was the third highest stockholder. Wow. And my grandfather, um, there are machines that are still being used out there my grandfather invented. Okay. And all those pictures up the walls. All the pictures of the military, my grandmother's military stuff all up the walls. And you, if you walked up there with my grandmother, you'd make it up one step. you look, oh, it's a nice picture. Ten-minute story. Next step. <laughs> now, you know, that picture's kind of nice. By the time you made up with three or four steps, you just didn't comment on pictures because right. you're getting all the stories. Yeah. And that's how my, my entire family is. My father will sit and tell stories to people. You know, my mother will tell stories. Uh, like I said before, you get the family together, and it's just a history lesson with a lot of comedi- uh, comedians and ball busting and all that other stuff together. And... Like, my dad's favorite story to tell, we were out in the middle of the Atlantic. We were deep sea fishing. 
and uh, my dad, my godfather were, my dad, they were coming back into Virginia Beach, and my dad tells the story, he goes, I'm hanging on to the rafter, or the, um, the outriggers, and I'm looking at the storm rolling in, next thing I know, I feel a wet finger in my ear, and I look down, and JB's got his finger in my ear, and goes, we're getting shocked, you're getting shocked with me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just stories like that I would always yeah. hear, and I mean, I heard... My wife sits there, and I, I will think of a story, and I'll look at her, and I'll go, Des, did I ever tell you the time? She goes, like, 12 times already. Let's move on. Give me another one. I think we all get to that point, yeah. though. I I know I've told my fair share of the same stories. I worry about that as we're doing these podcasts, that I don't share a bunch of the same stuff. I have a dear friend of mine that um, I, he's got some of the best stories you're ever going to hear, but I've heard them several times yeah. now, you know. But uh, I, I think that's just a part of growing up and growing old, maybe losing your marbles a little bit. <laughs> it's in, the funny the stuff process. you remember, but you forget, like, oh, I didn't make my bed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, what, what would you say your, your biggest high or your, your greatest win has been so far uh, in your life? In my life? Mm-hmm. It's going to sound sappy, but uh, getting married. My uh, my entire 20s, I, I was with... Uh, I was with somebody for a long time, and it took me up until recently to really realize that I, we weren't together. She was just using me. Okay. And I, for the longest time, when that relationship was over, I'd tell my friends, like, I'm never getting married. I'm never going to have kids. You know, I'm, I'm this loner dude and everything else. And uh, me and my wife reconnected. She was my high school crush. And we connected through Facebook and started talking and everything led to and i told my my one of my best friends i said i've got the ring i'm gonna ask him to marry me and he looked at me and goes who are you I'm like, what do you mean <laughs> he goes you're the guy that was never gonna get married and have kids now you're looking at literally asking a woman to marry you and then having you know the kids come with it and i said yeah so that one uh it was in june I had this whole plan. I had the motorcycle was in the garage. I had the ring in the saddlebags. I called her up to come out and help me because I needed something carried in from the bag. I don't even remember what I told her I had. And I was going to take it out, turn around on one knee, and just ask her to marry me. And Kellerin had taken the, like a dozen eggs and thrown them on the floor, and she was in the middle of making something. So we had she'd come out angry, yelling yep. at Kellerin, get in the truck, we got to go, we got to go get eggs. I'm in the middle of cooking, blah, 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 blah. And here I am with this ring in my hand <laughs> the, the most opportune of times so she got into the truck and i just opened the box and held my hand out and looked at her and i had all this like you know i've loved you since the day we started dating i was crushed blah 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 all this lovey sappy stuff i looked at her and went nah and she goes use your words I went, will you marry me and she took the ring put it on her finger and went yeah all right <laughs> and if anybody ever meets my wife, I'm just warning you. That's that's, that's who, she, who is. she is, and that's yeah. why I love her. Yeah. Well, that's that's you know, you know, but, potato potato, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're yin and yang. The getting married uh, and the kids. You know, I um, they're I love them to death. They're it's funny because we sit there and talk, and I, I when I was getting to know them and stuff like that, when me and Desiree were getting really serious, I kept looking at her. I go, Are you sure they're not mine? And she goes, yeah, I'm positive they're not yours. And I'm like, are you sure? Because even my mother goes, are you sure these aren't our kids? Like, And they're just, they're so much like me. And, but I will say this, the mother's curse works, no matter if they're your kids or they're your stepkids. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely <laughs> oh. true. Absolutely true. 
So what, what's a passion of yours that you rarely share at work or rarely share with others, and, and why don't you? Why don't you share it? You know, it's kind of a hard question because I share everything, as you guys have probably figured out. Uh, yeah, it's I, I everybody knows all You're everything an open about. Book. I'm an open book. Yeah, it's not a lot that I do at home that people don't know that I, you know. Well, I know. Um, I I know now that uh, there's there's some music in your in your soul. Oh, yeah. What what were you playing? What what type of music did you enjoy? Oh, man. or do you enjoy? I mean, I, it's it, it's a, a range of stuff. Um, I think for most musicians, that's probably true. First band I was in was a punk band, um, anti-government punk, because I was in high school and Bush was in office, and because of the war, everybody thought the government was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I really got in when i started working at the bar scene and everything else i really got into the um like psychedelic rock pink floyd uh always been a sublime fan so i was in a sublime cover band for a while um rock and roll a lot of like classic metal like um not the hair band stuff like thrash metal like metallica and megadeth all that type of stuff because it was to me that music was more challenging okay and plus also when i, I, was, when I was in my 20s i was a very angry Every yeah, my mother's like, I'm surprised you haven't had three or four heart attacks. And how <laughs> angry I was, but that music just touched me when I was angry. And then of course, you know, and I, not anymore. But when I was younger, I was kind of a little bit of a stoner. Uh, I was really into that type of music, that the melodic, sure. um, and music was always a big thing for me. I used to have people. I had bosses that would try to figure out like, well, what can we motivate Matt with? And like, well, what are you really into? Like music. I'm like, well, what can we do with music to motivate you? I'm like, I don't know. Start playing stuff that I listen to on the radio <laughs> and some country or, and no offense to country music yeah. guys, but you know. Well, I'm no. Uh, there's no. There's no uh, shock and awe there. I'm yeah. not a country music fan either. Um, yeah, because to me, I'm sorry, but country music to me just and there's granted a lot of the older stuff. Yes, sounds it's touching. Like I love. Um, Will, my dad got me into Willie Nelson and uh, Johnny Cash, but nowadays most music in all genres most music just sounds so fake well it's just it's gotten very homogenized i i have uh, i have some good friends too that they do listen to especially like current current country music and it it it, it doesn't sound like country music except for the maybe the voice you yeah. know the, a little bit of of t- southern twang in the voice but other than that it sounds like any any um, anything that could have fallen off of a pop rock station yeah you know, it's, it's so it it is a little bit odd, and I, I I think I even step back a little bit. I I'm a Grateful Dead fan, so I, you know you you get into a lot of different layers with a band like that in yeah. terms of the stylings of music that they have, and some of that old old country really comes through. Johnny Cash yeah. is a big one um, for for them, but you know songs like Big River, and so I I have an appreciation. I think maybe a little bit more so for for some of the older country music than yeah. than anything else, but I. I'm not running to the. Couple, I'm not. I'm not buying it from Amazon. Yeah, exactly. A couple of you guys, can't run to a record store anymore. Yeah, a couple <laughs> of the guys that I ride with, they're they're country music fans, and you know, we get to the bar and they start playing it you know, on the stations, and you're like, all right, you know, you get into it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think David Allen Coe said it best: it's not country unless it's about mama, the truck, the train, somebody leaving you, or the dog. <laughs> so, what do you listen to now? We talked a little bit about what you're listening to as a kid and. Uh, what do I listen to? Usually about the same. It, when I get out on the road, um, especially when it's getting to the end of the day, I'm usually playing some like more metal stuff, Megadeth, Metallica, Ozzy, that type of stuff. Because it makes but older, huh? Yeah, older, but stuff. older stuff. But it just makes me feel like 
makes it feel like I'm going faster. Like the trucks, we're doing yeah. 65, but I feel like I'm moving faster. Right. Um, during the day, especially after I talked to my mom, uh, my mom was huge into Phil Collins and Genesis and stuff like that. Yeah, I love Genesis. I've got um, the 1987 uh, Wembley Stadium saved on my phone. Okay. And I'll talk to her, and she'll start reminiscing about stuff, and she, we get off the phone. That, that's, uh, that, that goes on that's right on, away. Huh? Right away. And it makes me remember my childhood, you know, mm-hmm. driving in the big suburban, going to the mall to get clothes or something like that, and Genesis is playing or, you know. So, but that type of stuff, usually in the mornings or during the day, it's a little bit more laid back, but by the end of the day, it's, all You right, need some octane. I need some octane, exactly. Yeah, octane. I get it. I get it. I appreciate that. Um, what would you say you are most known for? Well, if you haven't met me yet, it's my size. I'm six foot nine, 400 pounds. My, everybody calls me Big Matt and stuff, but the guys that I ride with, my nickname is The Bear. And it, that, that nickname came not just for my size, but because I got into a bar fight one time and I, it was like, you mauled that guy. And I didn't swing or nothing. I just took my hand and hit this guy to <laughs> back him away from me. Mm. And they're like, you're swatting that guy like a bear. <laughs> And the nickname stuck, and it was just one of those. It's like I'm, uh, my Facebook page when I had it was Matt Bear Paul, you know, because it's one of. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever met me, it's my size, and you know, I picked but me your, out of a your crowd. But per, your personality doesn't match no, that no, that no, no, um, no. that nickname at all. I don't think. Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, I put the vest on and get on the Harley, and everybody's like, "Oh, there goes the bear." Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it comes with it. But no, nah, I'm just. I, it's the size. It's everybody gets to know me. My mother, who's five foot five, looks at me and goes, "This is my little man." Have there you, you met? go. You know? Yeah. So is that your is that your favorite favorite thing to do? Is is go riding? What, uh, what would you say your favorite thing to do is right now? My right now, ever since I got in the truck, and my favorite thing to do is just get home to the family. Amen. But uh, I yeah, riding. Uh, the guys that I ride with, we all ride with are known as a shovel head, and most Harley guys will know what a shovel head is, but it's a generation of motorcycle from Harley-Davidson from 68 to 84, and it's one of the last American, actually, uh, AMF, the bowling people, yep. owned the company for a while, and uh, we would get in the garage in the wintertime, tear the bikes completely down to the frame, clean them if we got to replace stuff, fix them. I've rebuilt, I bought my bike in June of 2012. Uh, this last winter was the first winter that it wasn't in the garage being torn apart for something, either getting repainted okay. or being rebuilt. And then in the summer, we used to get together and 20 deep and just go ride. Nice. You know, and it's, to me, riding a bike is not about trying to be some, you know, Billy Bad guy or, um, you know, some, like, intimidating f- person. You get on the bike, there's some, you got everybody around you because you're on, you're open, Everybody around you, you got to shift, you got to throttle, you got to brake, you got to turn signal, you got to, you know, know where your thumbs are and everything else. I've gotten on the bike so mad that I was ready to lose it. And 20 minutes down the road, I don't even know why I was mad anymore. It's just because of everything that's going on, it clears your head, you get relaxed. You know, I gotta Do you feel that way when you're driving truck as well? Yeah, because I can put music on, and music usually does yeah. that to me too. But yeah, I find I I have to agree with you on that. I, I several years back I bought a convertible, yeah. and one of the most therapeutic things I can think of is putting the top down, turning up some some music, and and just driving. Yeah, and for whatever reason it does, it dials you down, dials calms yeah. everything down. See, our uh, our bikes, we didn't they 
didn't come with radios, so we all joke around the radio that we got. It's a tailpipe coming out the back, that <laughs> yeah. loud thing. And also, because they're older bikes, our saddlebags have got little parts that you can change on the side of the road and tools and stuff. But that's another thing, the reason why we don't have radios is we have to listen to these things. Because right. they don't have electronic igni- or, um, yeah, electronic ignition. They've got... Um, Oh, I can't think of what they're called, but they will just die, and your bike will die, will stop right there. Uh, state, not staters. Um, anyways, um, so there's just stuff on the bike that you get one second, or that didn't sound right, and then the bike's done, and okay. then you've got to do so some you've mechanical. Got now. Yeah, you just have to listen to it. But it is. It's one of those. We've done rides to uh, Wauseon, um, down to Chillicothe, uh, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, We've gone all over the place on them, and it's you get into a group, and we all start riding. Next thing you know, we've done 250 miles, and we're like, yeah. we can go longer, can't we? It's like, yeah, no, I gotta go home and get to bed. I gotta work tomorrow, <laughs> you know. But so, but yeah, that's one of my favorite pastimes is just getting on the go. And, you know, we ride the guys that I ride with. If our saying is, if there's no salt on the ground, we're riding. Mm-hmm. And with those things being air cooled, when it's 32 degrees outside, they run hard. We don't, but they do. Right, right. So. I got to ask, being from the Cleveland area, and originally I'm from that area as well, your favorite place to go in Cleveland, where is it? Uh, my favorite place to go in Cleveland um, is, a, it's actually out in Sheffield. It's a little place called Camp Wahoo, and it's one of the most, you want to talk about going back into an era, It's an, it was a hunter's lodge back in the 70s. Okay. And it stayed there. The um, the owner and bartender is a retired uh, firefighter and stuff like that, and he's a hunter and everything else. But they've got dead things hanging on the walls. <laughs> oh, I mean, when we mean old school like uh, arcade games, I mean like they were brand new when they came out and never have been worked they, on. They haven't been moved. Pool tables with all the rails being dead because they haven't been worked on since seven, 1976. Mm-hmm. You know. That's one of my favorite spots to go because nobody knows it. We can go there right. and be ourselves. But if I was to go downtown, I used to love going to um, the garage bar or a place called Hoople's um, Brothers Lounge because it was just that's where the music was. Right. I if you could name a famous musician in Cleveland, I've either played with them or I I know them. Um, and it's just because of going to those bars and working at places like that, you got to know the musicians. And it's not a rock star lifestyle or anything, but it's one of those you can walk into a building like Norm and be like, hey, Big Matt, what's going on? You're like, hey, what's up? Uh, what are you here for? Oh, I heard Colin DeSalt's playing in the back. He goes, oh, yeah, they're back there. Um, you know how to get backstage to see him. I'm like, yeah, okay. And you just, you know, and we would go. And that's why all those places were always i like the hole in the walls but i it, they've got to be able to have a good band playing right for right me to enjoy them I, i've been to uh here here lately and uh, last few years anyhow i'll i'll uh, get some tickets to go see a show out uh the beachland ballroom played at the beachland many yeah times. it's a it's a just a quaint little place and um, the first time that I went out there as an adult with my youngest at that time, he wasn't even bar age, but he was, you know, legal to be in the in the in the club and and go see the show. Yeah. 
I recall, uh, you know, because you know my pastime is is music as well, and and part of that is is uh, the you remember the record stores, the record den, mm-hmm. yeah. So they had four or five of those throughout the greater Cleveland area, anyway, that you could get to, and one of them was at Great Northern Mall, yeah. And so I would go there all the time. So I'd heard from a friend of mine that um, there was still one in existence, and uh, so I went and uh, bought some concert tickets to go see a band. Uh, that evening, I took my my youngest, and we went out there. We spent, I don't know, probably three hours, you know, in this in this record store. Got all done, and uh, the snow started to fly. Of course, yeah. it's you know it's February in in Cleveland on the lake, so you know you just you got to deal with that stuff. Yeah. We went over to to the beachland, and um, we were early, you know, for the for the show. And I'll never forget this because I was just so set back. So we sat inside the bar area. And uh, just waiting, and there was a band setting up, and they um, they uh, they started playing. I don't know what time it was, maybe seven thirty, something like that, before before the show in the in the main area. Yeah. And it must have been the house band. I don't know who they are. I can't remember their name. Uh, they were six members on this. T- I mean, tiny yeah, little stage. Yeah, had a tiny stage. Yeah, little teeny tiny stage. Six six members of this band, and these guys and gals killed it i mean just laid it down it's like where you know where why can't i get a recording of this because it was just absolutely amazing yeah and so you know it always takes me back because when i was a kid 17 18 19 years of age that was always the thing to do go into lakewood go to uh what was there the fantasy fantasy the opium yeah not the opium odian odian no it's not the odian it's the is the opium opium something like that but it, it was the one little stretch. Yes. It was on the same side of the street. The fantasy yes. was upstairs. I can't remember what the third one was called, but it was it changed to the dark room or the dark something, and that was where all the goth bands, bands played. played. Yep. But, yeah, the fantasy with the, the pirate ships. Yep. You weren't punk in Cleveland if you didn't make <laughs> out in the pirate ships. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, that was uh, um, it was really great to have access to that. And you don't really – at least living out where we live now, where I live now, you know, you don't really have access to all those those yeah. great kind of traditions and locations that you can go to. So I was curious to see if I could draw out yeah. some no, some I, gems as far as uh, places to go in Cleveland where you can hear some great live music. Great live music, like I said, Brothers Lounge, the garage bar is not there anymore. It's When they redid West 25th, uh, that was one of the last bars. It was a biker bar with rock and roll and everything else. Uh, but it had a lot of bad dealings and stuff. So when they got a chance to get rid of it, they got rid of it. There's a little gem. Uh, it's in the far end of the flats. I mean, it, people don't even consider it part of the ha- flats, but it's called Major Hoopals. Okay. And they have amazing food, um, great prices and stuff like that. I feel like I'm doing an advertisement. <laughs> uh, but they have an outside patio, and they always had bands playing there. And if there's not bands or there's a major game, they have a projection screen or a projector that projects on the uh, RTA bridge for the okay. railroad. Yeah. And um, my buddy Otis, uh, he's in a band called Otis and the Shoreway Saints, and they're pretty famous around Cleveland. And they would play all the time. You want to talk about packing a bar. Nice. You know, um, I used to play Peabody's down there in yep. the flats. Back in the day, I play. I Jesus, I can. I was in so many bands at one point in time. I joked saying that no matter what, I'm going to be playing a Peabody's on the weekend. <laughs> I just don't remember with who. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah, but that that was a lot of my 18s and 20s were at music halls. You know, I can't. 
I can't tell you all the major, and not to a lot of people, but the major bands that I opened up for, a lot of punk bands like Misfits, Exploited, um, Casualties, like big name bands in our genre. Oh, yeah. And just because of playing at Peabody's, which was a hole in the wall, <laughs> you know, but... You know, those the young days. Now I'm a responsible adult. That's right. Now, not allowed now to do that stuff be, anymore. Now we have to be sensible and yeah. whatnot, right? I'm going to give you, I just have one final question for you today, and right. I'm interested to hear how you respond. But if you could remove all the barriers and constraints from a project, what would that project be? And what would you like to be known for because of that project? <sighs> The money's no yeah. no object. Me and my dad, um, when I was just turned fifteen, uh, was talking about getting my temps, getting my driver's license, and um, now my father's a retired command master chief. who's a jet engine mechanic on the A six Intruder. My father can look at a motor and pretty much listen to it and tell you what's wrong with it. A um, little bit ago they used to have an AutoZone commercial where they were going around an old GMC Jimmy and this guy was talking and you could tell it was his son, father talking to his son and they get up to the front of it and they're uh, the dead and an infant are laying under the car and okay. he's saying one day this will be yours that was my father, I learned to build a uh, rebuild a four barrel carburetor on an 86 Suburban before I knew how to do my ABCs, that's <laughs> the big joke because my dad when every time he worked on the cars, my mother would go, go out there with him, I don't want to get out there and go with them okay fine and i learned everything i know from my father yeah and when i was turning when i was 15 wanted to get the driver's license we had always talked okay let's buy an old classic muscle car that doesn't run and we're going to rebuild it uh unfortunately uh with me trying to go to college and my sister getting into high school and doing all her extracurriculars and my dad switching careers you know my dad's got like two different retirements um, but he, when he got out of the Navy, did everything he could to provide for us. I mean, I mean, he worked at a flower shop for a little bit. Okay. You know, you know the guy that would pull out his finger and everybody in the, in the room and the building would listen to him was doing bouquets and stuff like that. <laughs> but he did it for us. Right. But we just never got a chance to. But we every vehicle that I ever owned, we would work on. And my dad had always told me his favorite car is a black-on-white 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air. Okay. And I would love, even at his age right now, to pull one of those old rusty junkers that the wheels aren't rolling or nothing on and go, I don't have any time. i got nothing to do. I've got all this money, everything else. Let's start. And even with my dad sitting there in the condition he's in now, just to go, man, you know, I... We, I drove around in this with my dad one day, you know, and it was great. It's going to be fun to have it. And, of course, it, I don't want three on the tree. I want four on the floor. No, we're keeping it three on the tree. Just arguments we always had. Uh, when I bought my motorcycles, I had an 83 Goldwing and a 77 Harley. And my dad knew nothing about motorcycles but would research it on the Internet and then come outside. And, You're doing it wrong. I'm not doing You don't know this. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Well, then, what am I going to do right? And he goes, figure it out. I'm like, uh. So I'd work on the motor, and all of a sudden the tapping would be harder. He goes, all right, now that you did it, this is what you did wrong. And we'd go in there, and we'd fix it. And it's like my dad, to keep up with me, was learning my vehicles. Now. Right. So I 
I've like always to be able wanted to return that favor. To return the favor yeah. and even just bury him in the 57 Chevy <laughs> after we get it finished because it would take us that long. Because nice. as much as I love my dad, when we start working, he becomes the master chief. And I look at him like, I'm bigger than you. I know what I'm doing. Right. It's just we're button heads. Probably the truth of the matter is he still probably knows more than yeah, me, he though, does. right? I, you just can't let him get away with that. I had a 90 Bronco. That I got into a really bad, I hit a patch of black ice, destroyed a Corvette and a Mustang at the same time. And have we had to rebuild the whole front end of it. And we had the parts, we had the money and everything else. And it could have took us a week and a half to get everything done, to take it up to the mechanics, to get the, the uh, tie rods and stuff taken care of. Took us almost the entire summer because we'd start working on it. My dad would go, give me the wrench. <laughs> You're not doing what I told you to do. Give me it. And I'm like, no, I'm doing exactly, you know, that type of father-son thing. But yeah. It would take us forever to do it, but that would be what I want to do is work on a 57 Chevy with my dad and completely restore it to the original, you know, get the paint that he wanted and then put him in it and take him around the block because they don't have the thing to plug his oxygen into <laughs> back in those days. <laughs> I appreciate the answer to that question. Man, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I, I know it disrupts your day a little bit when you can be out there making some money to sit down and talk with me. No, no worries. Thanks it's for been, having me. It's been a real pleasure today. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Beyond the Cab. Have a good one. <laughs>